Against All Odds, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Have we got a podcast for you degenerates out there today? In a while, we'll talk with one of the great degenerates. Pretty good with the Louisville Slugger, too. I sat down with Pete Rose at the first ever sports con in Dallas last weekend. You know, some say he didn't make the Hall of Fame because of his affiliation with gambling. It's a tough call. We'll see what he thinks. But before that, we need to make some money on the links. British Open this Thursday. Our good pal, the gluttonous golf guru from House of Carbs and Fairway Rowan, Joe House. Thanks for coming on Against All Odds, buddy. Cousin Sal, I'm on the same podcast as Pete Rose. Is that what's happening here? <laughs> yes. It's I about mean, time. It's been too long, right? <laughs> yeah, they, thank you. I, I, I think I'm honored. I'm not sure. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. It could be a disaster. I don't know. We'll have to wait till the end. But I'm focused on you right now, and I want to thank you. You were good enough to set me in a degenerate trifecta up with a fitting at Callaway this Friday. I didn't even know you had anything to do with Callaway. Who knew you had, you had such contacts there? But thank this you for is- doing that. It's the least I can do. The the, the degenerate trifecta open this Friday, Carlsbad, California. Uh, I I think there's a couple props. I mean, it's it's, it's going to be you, Harry, brother Bry, Parlay Kid, and all four yeah. of you are, are are getting fit, right? That's right. We're all getting fit. Uh, Master Tate Frazier's coming along for moral support. We're going to be betting each other on various props. We're going to have props. In, included in the props. I mean, honestly, you might as well fit me with a machete because I have no idea how to golf. I'm not good at this. Um, All right. But, well, I, yes, what do you have? you have something I, lined up? I, I do have a couple thoughts uh, lined up here. So, first of all, uh, I, I consulted uh, Westgate, uh, your, your buddy at Westgate there, and we were going to okay. – uh, we, we have at least a couple. Uh, number of golf clubs uh, broken, uh, altered, destroyed completely – we set the number at at two and a half. We think Harry's good for two all by himself. That's the the over under for two and a half. What do you think in t- number of, of golf clubs that suffer some kind of, of impairment on this trip? I you know what I think the over is a good, but I think you'd have to lay like one sixty five on the over or something because two and a half. <laughs> I think we're gonna get to three. Harry could get hungry. You know how you've seen his girth. You know he could he could just start gnawing on the. On the uh, on the shaft of a seven iron or something, then we we'll get to three like within the first hour. That could be bad. I love that prop. I really do like that over. Well, I I, I hate to pick on Harry, but the other one that that immediately uh, came to mind was the number of unintended farts uh, during the the, dri- the driver swings. I mean, when you really take a big cut, sometimes I mean, you know. I, I've been playing golf, uh, you know, for about 30, 35 years now. There are occasions, cause you know, that big cut. Next thing you know, there's a cut down below as well. Uh, we were talking about unintended farts out of, out of Harry. I mean, I guess we could do it among the whole crew, but Harry came to mind first. I have no idea why. Uh, no, wow, saying, that's good. What do you what do you set that number at? Three, three and a half. Three and a half unintended oh, farts. Oh, three and a half. Yeah. <laughs> well, the problem with Harry is nothing is ever unintended. So if he lets one go, it's uh, you, you know he meant it. Um, are we going to have our guy Jeff on hand? Does he have to determine what's intended, what's unintended? That seems oh, like an unenviable is, task. Tate, Tate, nobody knows Harry better than Tate. I mean, that's, that's true. The, the, the perfect fart counter. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Tate, are you up for that? That would be worth the drive out, right? Yeah, not a problem. 
That's on your resume, isn't it, Tate? Is that one of the credentials you put on your resume? Absolutely. Harry Gagnon's best friend. <laughs> I love it. We're very excited that the crew is pumped. They're actually en route right now. They're flying all over the place. It's uh, Harry's birthday today, so that uh, that adds a little uh, element to it. But, um, the, I mean, we're going to be screwing with each other with props. We're going to have blindfolds. We're going to be pouring sand on each other. You know, I don't want to give away the bit, but if you have any ideas for props or, or distractions or something, uh, uh, throw them our way, uh, House. Not right now, but, you know, whatever, in the next day or so. It would be great. Absolutely. But we're excited for it. My pleasure. I'm excited for it. <laughs> hey, before we get to the British Open, I know you have a lot of thoughts. Where were we with Romo at plus 250 to win the American century? He, he, he really ran it go, going away, right? He, he won this thing. How did we not gamble on this? It, it, it's, it's really a testament to what bad gamblers we are. This was the an absolute the absolute lock of the century. He's almost a professional golfer because all he does yeah. is is play golf in the uh, eight and a half months that he's not you know doing the football gig, and his uh, uh, accomplishments you know trying to qualify for the U.S. Open, playing in in uh, PGA events as an invitee, playing in Web.com that's called now called the Corn Ferry but playing in professional events with professionals and he's holding his own. The only thing that held me back with, with, uh, with brother Romo, did you watch any uh, of the, uh, the actual footage? I saw a couple of swings. Yeah, I saw a few swings. We were traveling, so I didn't see a lot. I was at his cousin's sports conventions, believe it or not. So sure. Yeah, that sure. Was second fiddle. But <laughs> what, what, I, I what did you see? Well, I, I, I saw a lot of great golf, a very accomplished golfer, but he had the worst outfits of anybody on the golf course. I mean, I think he, he he's a Nike guy. He's wearing Nike clothes. On Saturday, he was trying to to channel his inner Tiger Woods, I guess. He had a red, like, blade yes. collar kind of top and some black pants. But they looked like he was, you know, from, from the 80s. They were not he, – he's a svelte man. He's a former NFL quarterback, and he's wearing the, the, the baggy pumps. He looked like Craig Stadler out there. And then the next day, he's in a, in a monotone, all blue outfit. I mean, it, we 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 lost out on the uh, the bets, but I I don't know if I can bet on somebody that looks like that. <laughs> I can I see what you're saying, but brother, let me just first, uh, if I don't defend them enough, no one wears a nondescript black hat like uh, like number nine does. But that's uh, that's. That's neither here nor there, but you're right. He, he really threw it in the opponent's face by wearing the tiger red, the, the Sunday red the tiger usually dons. He had it on Saturday. Um, as far as betting him goes, you know, I, I reached out. He, he's usually very confident. He gets mad in those, those tournaments that uh, he got the exemption for. He was like, they had him at like 78 and a half or something. He was mad. He's like, go way under. I didn't sense that from him at plus 250, but I should have known better. We, we, we should have just jumped on board. But you're right. It, 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 a lot has to do with how you look. I figure if he's not wearing Skechers, um, something's wrong, right? That's the only thing he cares about. Well, he, he had the Skechers on, and maybe it was a boss move by, by uh, Brother Romo. Maybe he's like, who cares what I look like? I'm going to come out here and kick everybody's ass. I'll, I'll look like a schlub and, and, and just whoop everybody, and they can look at my rear end as I go by him. I mean, that, that's a fine way to approach <laughs> Exactly. It. That's it. Now, and, and talking about someone who really has that who cares attitude, I look at Brooks Kepka, and he really is just – he's a rugby player who's excellent at golf, right? 
I mean, he talks about not practicing for any tournament other than a major. Um, you know, Tiger wants to tag along in a practice round. He doesn't even call him back. What a throwback this is. Do you, do you appreciate this? I, mean, I, I think I like it more and more. Of course I appreciate it. Nobody, uh, you know, gives less of a, of a darn than this guy. What, what, what's the rating on this podcast? Are we allowed to use adult language on this one? Yeah, sure. Yeah, adult. Yeah, no, to, nobody uh, gives a mostly juvenile language. We got the fart talk out of the way, so yeah, whatever you want. <laughs> nobody gives less of a fuck than Brooks Kepka. Like he, he doesn't even <laughs> treat golf as though it is his most favorite sport. He's been on record as being right. an avid baseball guy. He loves baseball. He shows no passion whatsoever for anything when it comes to golf, other than beating the living shit out of the entire field uh, when it comes to these major tournaments. Because I have a. Uh, a, a a stat for you. You know, I, I come loaded with the data. I love to have the data. Yes, of course. Brooks, Brooks Kepka has since 2017, the beginning of calendar year 2017, he's either led or co-led 13 major championship rounds. That's more than twice as many as any other player during that stretch. There have been 16 major rounds contested since his conquering uh, uh, the the uh, I mean, beginning with the 2018 PGA Championship, he's been in the top four of the leaderboard after 13 of those. Of the 13 wow. that he's either led or co-led, only one of them's come at the Open Championship, which is interesting because we're going to talk about him in this uh, uh, event. But he he, uh, he has competed in four majors since the PGA championship. And I believe the number of competitors in those four majors totals around 561 uh, total players that he's, he's uh, played against. How, how many uh -huh. of those do you think uh, have beaten him? I mean, you know, the answer. Uh, what's the answer? I'm going to, I'm going to say seven. I don't know. What is it? No, no, it's two. He's only, because he's either won or finished second in in each of oh, the right. four okay. majors, so he's uh, only Gary Woodland and Tiger Tiger Woods. So when when Brooks earlier this season said when he looks at these fields and sizes them up and thinks he can beat virtually everybody because you know half the guys he's only competing against you know a very small number uh, of guys in the field yeah. that he he thinks you know uh, actually believe that they could beat him. The proof is in the pudding. Mm -hmm. Only two guys have beat him in in a, in a year's worth of, of majors, cuz. And he's unbelievable. He's, he says all the right things as far as I'm concerned in these interviews. So he came in second, first, and second in his last three majors. And he, and he said that run is quite disappointing. Quite disappointing. How would you like to be one of these kids, his kids? This would be an awful way to grow up. But um, before we get to the odds, top 10 plus 125 seems like a good uh, as, lock, as a lock there is for Kepka, right? You, you, at this point, we just bet Kepka until further notice. We bet him to top 10. Right. We bet him to top five. We bet him to win. Plus 250 right now, top five. And I think he's still hanging in there at 10 to 1. Uh, yep. Oh, no, 11 to 1. Holy cow. 11, 11 to, to 1. one to right the second to, to win the uh, 2019 Open Championship, the British Open. Yeah, uh, so we're betting. Let me just read a couple of these odds because McElroy, like an hour ago, Rory, uh, who everyone claims is the best player on the planet in 2019. I understand they have a, a rating system for this, but I'd rather have three golfers than him. And I know this is the kind of course that he would. Anyway, he was eight to one. He's nine to one. Kepka, like he says, ten to one. He's now eleven to one. Tiger went from sixteen to twenty. 
DJ and Rama right in there at 18 to 1. Then you have Rose, Sheffley at 25, uh, Scott 28, Speed 35. Mickelson, Phil Mickelson, 100 to 1 odds to win this tournament. He lost 15 pounds for the event, like, like he's getting married house. Is there, a, is there a royal wedding involving Phil Mickelson that we don't know about? Well, I think the, the weight loss thing, it feels like a put on. Because I, I saw the video. He went on there. He said he had a he needed a hard reset because he's sucked over the last like half dozen events that he's played in because right. he really hasn't done anything mm -hmm. to distinguish himself since he won at Pebble Beach back in February. So he said following his disappointing U.S. Open experience, he wanted to hit, have a hard reset. And he claims he went on this diet where he was drinking some special coffee concoction and, and, and just water. And he claims that he lost 15 pounds. Now, I, he was wearing clothes in this video that weren't really necessarily form-fitting, but it still looked like the Phil Mickelson, that daddy bump, you know, that 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 slightly protruding dad bod belly right. was in effect. It didn't have the body of, of a 15-pound, you know, crash diet kind of fella, at least, at least to, right. to my, uh, 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 my wizened eye. Well, he's, yeah, he's toyed with the idea of getting a, a breast reduction for many years now. But I guess we'll see Thursday how, how this all shapes up. Um, tell us about the course. I, I love when you talk about the course. I, I know it's monstrous, but I hear that about all of these. It's Royal Portrush. It's, uh, it's routed through the rugged links land and constantly changes in both direction and elevation. I don't know. That's something I read online. Tell, tell me about it. What do you think you about did, this course? Well, that's a great setup. Thank you for that. So they're competing this in Northern Ireland. So the Open Championship is returning to Northern Ireland for the first time in 54 years. The last time it was 1950. Uh, well, don't don't ask me to do the math. I'll get it wrong. But uh, that's okay. they, 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 they haven't 65. been here. Yeah. They had to get through the, the political and religious turmoil um, that, that befell the country uh, in, in the 90s. They I hadn't heard home. anything about that, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's called the Troubles. That's all I know. But they had okay. three guys <laughs> fr from Northern Ireland win uh, majors between 2010 and 2011. Three uh, uh, golfers from tiny Northern Ireland, 1.6 million people, 1.9 million people, won uh, uh, majors. Rory McIlroy won the U.S. Uh, Open in 2011. Graham McDowell won the U.S. Open in 2010. And Darren Clark mm. won the Open Championship in, in 2011 as well. Like Northern Ireland, home of, of, of these incredible golfers. They've been looking for an occasion to return uh, to, to, to Northern Ireland. And, and they you, mm -hmm. know, you have to plan these things out well in advance royal portrush always is at the top of the list when you look at worldwide rankings of, of best golf courses on the planet royal portrush always appears like in in the top 30 or so so very well regarded uh held in the highest of high esteem the last time a professional uh, tournament was competed there was 2012 it was the irish huh. open after that event, they, they kind of gave the course and the, and the entire venue, the their surrounding environs, a test drive to see whether or not the footprint could handle, you know, massive, the massive crowds they anticipated. And it, it passed mm -hmm. with flying colors. They did some renovation to the golf course. They, they kind of did 18 months of renovation. So the course will be playing this open championship in a manner that nobody's ever seen before because it, it hasn't been uh, the site of, of, a, of a professional tournament since 2012. And they changed it 
after 2012. So it, it is a sort of sight unseen. It has a reputation based on some of the early uh, a, a analysis and so forth. The, the, the key ingredients to be successful at this place, you're gonna have to uh, be able to scramble because the greens are elevated. You're gonna have to be able to hit fairways because this venue, unlike some open championship venues in the past, um, has rough that comes up pretty close. It's very lush in Northern Ireland. We're gonna see a very green open championship, which will be different looking to us a, cu a couple of times here over the recent history, including last year. Uh, the, it's been competed in places that have gone through heat droughts. Uh, and, and, and so the course has been very brown. We've seen the balls running forever and very thin, wispy, rough. Not so here at Royal Portrush. They've been able to grow huh. luscious rough. And a lot of it, if you look at the, the course <laughs> overview, it, it pinches right in a lot of areas. So you need guys that can hit the ball off the tee accurately. Right. Let me so, ask you this. But So this, this is in Rory McIlroy's backyard. How do you... What, how do you what do you compare this home field home linked advantage to? Is this closer to, uh, I, I don't know, like the you know the Patriots at home, or is this closer to NHL playoffs where the road team has just as good a chance of winning? I I, I honestly am struggling to come up with a comparison in terms of how much is at stake for for Northern Ireland and how much this country mm -hmm. is rooting for, for Rory especially. So Rory set the, the course record here when he was 16 years old. He shot a 61 at this golf course. Wow. Now it's a different golf course now than it was when he was 16 years old, but obviously he's channeling some, some very good vibes at Royal Portrush. He grew up about an hour away from this golf course. This is without hyperbole or overstatement the single biggest sporting event in the history of this tiny country and possibly the single biggest event in terms of the world stage that this country has wow. ever has ever experienced and the entire country is rooting for Rory McIlroy i mean i can't think of 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 a, a uh, another sporting event where the entire population is rooting for a single individual in this manner with with sort of you know it, this is really its debut on the world stage, Northern Ireland, because mostly of uh, uh, most of the reputation of Northern Ireland in recent memory has been the political and religious turmoil uh, in 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 uh, up there. So this is their opportunity to put on a, a good face to the world, and nothing would be better than for Rory McIlroy to go out there and kick everybody's ass and have their their native son be the hero of the moment. The the challenge is it feels like perhaps too much pressure cuz so yeah i mean basically if if bono were his caddy they they wouldn't root for him more like they, they, this is it he's they're 100 percent in on, on rory mcelroy no matter what but yeah you're right it's the pressure so is he going to overcome the i mean i guess i'll ask you we go about this different ways sometimes you pick a long shot and a mid-range and a favorite last time uh, we did the u.s open you veered from that. You said only a few golfers could, could win this, and that you were right. I mean, with most of them that you uh, narrowed down were there on the final day. How do you want to attack this one? So in the first place, we already said you have to bet Brooks. You just go bet Brooks. Bet him to win. Bet him to mm -hmm. top five. Bet him to top ten. Just cover your ass. Bet some Brooks Kepka. Get some plus odds on him. I'm going to make the same mm -hmm. recommendation for Rory because if, if you just looked at his resume, if you just called him player A – 
he he is so far and above the most successful player at the Open Championship over the past five years. He has four top five finishes in the past five years at the Open Championship. He has the best score in relation to par at the Open Championship over the past five years. He has the best scoring average over the past five years at the Open Championship. He has the second most birdies and eagles per round at the Open Championship. And he also he has the second most rounds in the 60s over the past five years. And he missed one of the Open Championships because he, uh. he, he busted his ankle playing soccer back in 2015. So he still right. is second in rounds in the 60s and he missed an entire four round opportunity. So it, it, with that kind of resume, he is clear, he's also uh, finished in the top 10 11 of 14 times this year. I mean, he's he's been on an incredible tear. The problem is, you know, how do you think he'll relate he'll respond to the pressure? My recommendation is let's just root for him. It's a great story. Let's let's gamble right. on him. Let's go ahead and put you get plus odds on the plus 5. You get plus odds for him to win. You get uh uh you know, plus odds on the top 10. Let's just do it. Rory and Brooks will go ahead and bet on those guys. Um and, and live with it. You'd be happy with either one of those guys winning this, this year's tournament. That's the story. I, I feel like I jinx him. I know that the rest of the degenerate trifecta feels the same way, but Rory's the guy that if I bet him, he's not going to do well, and if I stay away from him, he's going to uh, run away. He's going to go wire to wire and win this thing. Do you have a golfer that you feel that way? Like, you, you is good, great on paper. should take him. Every time you get him, you, you, you curse him. Yeah, well, it's Dustin Johnson, and uh, right. I, I am uh, – here to report that I'm fading Dustin Johnson this week, um, wow. and which which means maybe the betting public wants to go ahead and, and go all in. He he has not distinguished himself uh, very much over the last couple of Open Championships. After earlier in his career um, being being successful, he missed the cut last year at, at Carnoustie, and since 2010, here, here's the thing: like DJ is successful at the Open. He's a combined mm -hmm. 22 under par in rounds one through three. So if, if you you have DJ and you're watching him and he's out there playing rounds one, round two, round three, hey, I feel pretty good about this. 22 under par rounds one through, through three. Unfortunately, he's 20 over in the final round during that same time span. So for whatever hmm. reason, Sunday comes at the Open Championship. Maybe it's just one too many fish and chips meals. I don't. I'm not sure what's going on <laughs> with DJ. I also did not like how he uh, finished up at the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. He he owns Pebble Beach. He loves Pebble Beach. He's played there sensationally throughout his entire career. I didn't love his Sunday 74. I didn't love watching him smash I, uh, driver into the ocean into the Monterey Bay on the fourth right. hole at, at the U.S. Open. So I, I I don't know what's going on with DJ, but he's the guy that, that fits that bill uh, of of a guy that I bet on and, and, and get him wrong. I bet him on, I bet him hard at the, at the U.S. Open. He didn't come through. Um, so I'm laying off right. him uh, and everybody. That means, you know, DJ alert. He's probably going to have a great tournament. Well, it's funny because I was going to present you. This was my oysters Rockefeller of an appetizer for you. I was going to. There's a prop Rory Kepka or DJ plus three fifty. I guess if we did just Rory Kepka, I could maybe find that somewhere. You'd be closer to five or six to one. Um, but all right, like, fading I'm, DJ. I'm, I'm going to add that. Rory. Yeah, I'm going to add that to my menu now. There, there's a stat out there. I have a few trend lines for you. I have one that, that is unfortunately going to cross off a couple guys that I otherwise would be super bullish on. 
since mm-hmm. uh, uh, 19, well, I'm not going to, I'll put it in, in the reverse order. How about this? Guys who haven't played, who, who, who play the U.S. Open and then don't play again mm-hmm. until the British Open um, don't have a great track record uh, of success. The last time a player played the U.S. Open and then came to the British Open and won the British Open was 1976. It was Johnny Miller. So that huh. takes three guys that I might otherwise like uh, and and means I'm not going to bet them to win. I might bet them the top five or top ten or top 20. And they're big names. It's Tiger Woods who fits that bill. Now, Tiger does not seem to be in very good uh, mental form. He, he went to a press conference Tuesday afternoon and said that he needs another day of, of good practice. He needs a, a good day on the range because he's kind of not feeling 100% prepared. He also was waking up at 1 in the morning. He shot a video of himself waking up uh, in the middle of the night in his own bed and saying, oh, I'm getting ready. (laughs) I mean, uh, that doesn't really seem like getting ready to me. The first time he ever played a full round at Royal Portrush was this past Sunday. Um, Seems like, you know, if he was really serious about winning this one, might have come over a little earlier. I don't know. If he wanted yeah. to wake up at 1 in the morning, could have done that in Ireland. Could have just woke up and right. gone and played the golf course. Uh, at, He's at, already jet-lagged. Yeah, you know, Tiger, I, and I know you hate this, and I know Simmons hate this. It's a don't pass of all bets. And uh, and, and to, for Tiger to be the subject of it makes it even worse. But after the Masters win, I bet that he wouldn't that he wouldn't win another major this year at minus 254. So I'm, I'm one away from cashing that. So... Uh, yes, I'll be rooting against Tiger. I know you'll root for him, even though you're fading him. But who, who else do you like? Who not like? Well, I, I unfortunately I uh, am in love with Xander Shoffley, but Xander decided to take off between the U.S. Open and this this British Open. I mean, Z- Xander made his major championship debut at the 2017 U.S. Open, which was at, at Aaron Hills. Kepka won it. Since then, he's uh-huh. finished sixth or better in five of his 10 major starts. So half the time he tees off at a major since 2017, he's he's finished in the top six. I, I unfortunately, he was off uh, on holiday with his family in Paris. I wish he'd, he'd, you know, taken a short trip over and played the Irish Open or the Scottish Open in between there. But he also fits this, this bill, if you believe in this trend of, of, if you skip all that time, you don't come in fresh so unfortunately i can't bet xander to to be a winner at this thing and then the 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 one that hurts the most is is adam scott adam scott is one of three players over the past 10 years top three in strokes gained uh total at links courses he's an incredible links player he has he's coming off of three straight top tens he had a great uh uh performance at the u.s open he finished top 10 at the um, PGA Championship. He has been very much in, in form this year. Unfortunately, I, I think the best I'm going to do is bet him to top five. I'm not going to bet him to win because, you know, I don't think he's the one to break this this trend, this 40-year uh, trend, 43 years it's been since the last time somebody came out. So the, I, I hate to cross off Adam Scott and Xander Schauffele right away, but I'm going to do it. Because I believe in the right. you know it trends. makes sense because I read something and this isn't something I wrote down and then read it that that six of the last nine winners of the Open participated in the Scottish Open so 
as this trend gets towards 70, 75%, you would think more guys would, uh, would sign up, you know, figure out something, you know, take a holiday some other time, right? Well, and, and, and just to build off of, of that trend that you talked about, five of the past six Open Champ uh, winners have won at least one event in their previous five starts. They were the only outlier there was Zach Johnson, who won the 2015 British Open right. at St. Andrews, but he had three straight top tens coming into that event. So, um, gotcha. you know, he, 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 you need guys more than any other tournament. The Open Championship favors guys that are in form. So uh, mm -hmm. that, that unfortunately, you know, we, we're, we're crossing some names off here, um, but we want some guys who, who have played fairly recently and, and have some W's under their belts. Those are the guys that are going to do well here, cuz. All right. Well, give me some names. So, so far, we, we like Brooks and Rory. Just cover your bases. Bet, bet on them. We're fading DJ Tiger, uh, Xander, and Adam Scott. And now you're so, going to tell me who's played recently and, and done well. So, I, I, I there's a guy that I love that's available right this second. Let's see here. I'm pulling up 2,000. He's available. Uh, his odds went down a little bit. He was available at 28 to 1 this morning. He's down to 25 to 1. I wonder if my phones are tapped because th th this guy <laughs> – <laughs> so five players this year, cause have finished in the top ten in at least half of their starts. Uh, one of right. those guys is Patrick Cantlay. His resume this right. season, he's held the lead for uh, at least a, a handful of minutes on Sunday at Augusta National at the Masters. He was uh, on the leaderboard on Sunday. He held the lead all by himself. He finished third at the PGA Championship. He finished 21st at the U.S. Open after a sluggish start. He battled his way back with two under par rounds. He was uh, 12th last year at his uh, Open Championship debut, his British Open debut. But here's, here's some of the compelling data. That's all just surrounding context. He leads the PGA Tour in bogey avoidance. There may not be a single more important uh, uh, data point, single important, more important metric than bogey avoidance at the British Open. Last year, uh, uh, Frankie Onions, Frankie Chipola, Frankie Molinari, Saturday and Sunday. How many bogeys do you think Frankie Onions had on Saturday and Sunday at the Open Championship last year? He had two. He had zero, Cousin Sal. Oh. And that's why oh, he zero won. Zero's even fewer, yeah. <laughs> zero's just slightly less than two. Uh, my man, uh, 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 number one in scrambling. So right behind bogey avoidance scrambling, because we talked about those elevated greens, you need guys that are capable of, of getting up and down. If they haven't landed in the middle of the green, Patrick Cantlay first uh -huh. in scrambling on the tour. He's 10th in strokes gained off the tee. He's 12th in, in approach. He's 13th in strokes gained around the green. And most importantly, he won that Memorial Tournament that Jack Nicholas hosts in Ohio. That was three starts ago for Patrick Cantlay. So he has a win among his last three starts. Available right now at 25 to 1. We're going to play put a little bit on, on my man Patrick Cantlay. I like Cantlay a lot. I met him in the U.S. Open. Like you said, he had a, a sluggish start and uh, just could not get get back to the the when he uh, couldn't catch a uh, Woodland. It was too far back. But I do like him. And yes, bogey avoidance and scrambling. I talk about it all the time. All right, that's good. <laughs> I like him. That's good. those are good odds.
I got. I have one more guy uh, that I'm recommending. Both uh, a bet to win because we like these odds. You you know our our strategy. We don't really like to bet guys to win until you get to 25 to one and and, and upwards. But this guy right. uh, also in the top three over the past 10 years at in in strokes gained on links courses. He just played last week at the Scottish Open, so we, we have him covered. Uh, and, in fact, he finished in the top five. I think he finished third at the Scottish Open. Uh, Henrik Stenson, right now. Oh, that's my leads, guy. He leads the PGA Tour in strokes gained approach this entire year. He uh, led the field at the Scottish Open uh, last week in Green's hit, and he uh, – avoids uh bogeys at a, at a at a very successful rate there have been 40 majors played since tom watson lost at turnberry back in 2009 heartbreaking loss to, to stewart stink uh of those 40 majors played the most top tens at those majors henrik stenson is fifth on that list he has 11 top tens across 40 majors. I, li- I like that. So I'm playing Stenson the same way we talked about Rory and uh, Brooks. We're going to play Stenson as a top 20. We're going to play him at a top 10. We're going to play him at a top 5. And I'm going to go ahead and bet him to win at, t- at 28 to 1. One other thing about Stenson that I that I like quite a bit, he uh, skipped an event that he usually plays. He usually plays in the BMW International in Germany. He skipped that after the U.S. Open. He went to Royal Portrush and played some rounds. Unlike Tiger Woods, who's waking up in the middle of the night in his own bed, my man Stenson went over to, to Northern Ireland, got some rounds in in June to get acclimated, just sort of test it out. The last time he did that, Cousin Sal, 2016 Royal Troon, when he beat Phil Mickelson. So that, you know, portends well for our man Henrik Stenson. I love Stenson. Um, like you said, he won it in 2016, runner-up 2013. Uh, played the Scottish Open, tied for fourth last week in the Scottish Open. But here's another one I love. Um, he has to beat Alexander Norin and Alexander Bjork. I think that's it. Maybe Alex Morgan also. A bunch of Alexes. No, he has to beat exactly those two to be considered the top Swede at minus 186. I love oh. that. I'll be parlaying that with whatever I can. Uh, Bjork last week finished 62nd. I don't even think uh, Norin uh, com- competed in the Scottish Open. I love Stenson all over the place. That's a great pick. Really like that's, that. That that's wonderful. I'm loading up. Let's just add a zero to that. That's how much I'm going to put in. One thousand eight hundred and sixty to win one thousand. Henrik Stenson, <laughs> top Swede. Come on, let's go eat. Let's go eat some 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 fish. Let's go do some fishing. <laughs> we can do whatever we want if we win that. Let me. Add, I'm going to throw a couple other props at you here. Um, I can't wait. Although now that I look at this and who you like, this may not be as appealing. The age of the winner. Over under, what what would you say the age of the winner, the over under is? 35 and a half. Mm. 30. Oh, 30. 30. Okay. Wow. I see. Oh, I see. Well, well, I'm being a little too precise. The average age uh, of the British Open winner is around 36 over the last five to eight years. It, you tend to get more mature guys with experience, guys who uh, who aren't cowed by making a mistake, who can bounce back from a mistake, um, and guys yeah. with the, the the ability to strategize a little bit. So that's what you know. The the only outlier in that is Jordan Spieth. Now uh, Stenson is on one side of 30. Cantlay's on the other side of 30. I kind of right. like the, the over because most of the guys that I like um, as potential. Now, 
Rory and, yeah. and Kepka are on the on the on the other side of that. So maybe it's a hedge play. Maybe what what are the odds on that on that age thirty? I, I love the over here. And you, if you thought it was thirty five, you should like the over too. The over is minus yeah. one forty three. And yeah, like you said, dating back to two thousand six, Tiger won it. He was thirty. Ten of the last twelve were thirty or older. McElroy and Spieth, the only uh, losers on that. If you had the uh, if you had the over, um, but yeah, I think is McElroy a push? I, he's thirty exactly. And I think, like you said, Kepka would be under, Cantley would be under, um, and Stenson so like and all these other guys you mentioned would be over. I like the over yeah. here. Yeah, I, I like the over as well. I mean, the guys that could bust it would be John Rahm and Tommy Fleetwood. They're both under. Uh, and you, know, right, you think this right. is the breakthrough, but but Ricky Fowler's on the other side, and there is a, a little narrative here. There is a little Ricky love going on. Ricky has a terrific right. track record on Lynx courses, and and folks think maybe all, 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 he's he's so far off the radar that he'll feel so little pressure. Ricky Fowler, an outstanding bad weather player, and right now as we as we tape this, there is the possibility of some like you know. Uh, middling kind of wind. They haven't said that there's going to be outright squalls, but there is the wind's going to mm-hmm. be up a smidge, and the, there's there's rain in the forecast every day because it's Northern Ireland. There's rain in the forecast every single day, so who knows whether whether or not they're going to get perfect weather. But if you get a little bit of bad weather, you like Ricky Fowler's chances. All right, I'll jot him down. One other thing, and you you made me a winner at the U.S. Open with this one. I kind of put all my eggs in this basket that an American would win. Um, American to win the the Open is plus 115. The field is minus 145. Eight of the last 12 Opens, British Opens, have been won by foreigners. The exceptions were Spieth, Zach Johnson, Mickelson, and uh, Stuart Sink. And we were talking a while ago with Stuart Sink. I don't know. Are we betting against each other now? If we take a foreigner and and an over in the age, I I can't even keep track anymore of what this person would look like that we want to win. But the numbers would suggest that field over USA. Well, I'm going to go in the other direction. Over the last 25 years, one of the trend lines um, has been uh, that that the the uh, non-U.S. born player wins one year, and then a U.S. player wins the following year. Oh, so, okay. Uh, the the it's only twice since 1990, I think, have uh, non-U.S. born players won consecutive Open championships. So Frankie Molinari uh-huh. won last year, so you would say based on that trend line that an American is due. And if we're looking for an old American, now it's going to be tough to root for this guy. You might have to ask people to hold their nose based on his weird behavior this year. But my man, Matt Kuchar, is available right now at 30-1. to 1. He uh, leads the, the FedEx Tour in, in points based on that point system. He has an outstanding recent uh, Open Championship record, including the second-place finish to Spieth. It was nip, nip and tuck on the, you know, they're standing on the 14th tee. Kuchar was tied for the lead, uh, and then Spieth just birdied on out, and that was it. But um, if you want to uh, hold your nose a little bit and bet on an old guy who's good on links, Kuchar could be that guy. I'll tell you what, that was the very next name I was going to mention to you. And there's there's no hold, holding your nose. That, sit on your hands. He's terrific. He's had his best year right this year. He played the Scottish Open well. Uh, only a handful of guys, I think you mentioned, two top tens in the last five. He's one of them. Why not? This guy, uh, ice water in the veins and everything else. I love Kuchar. I really do. I'm betting yeah, him all, on my cut parlays and everything. I think that's yeah. a, I think that's a good pick. The only other thing I was going to mention to you, and this is kind of lucky, but there's only been one playoff in the last nine years. 
and that was 2015 when Johnson, Leishman, and, and Ustazen. Uh, and you can get the no at minus 390 if you want to parlay that with something. But that there's a lot of luck involved in that. But I, I think we got it covered, House. I really do. Yeah, that was that was a lot of uh, uh, data that we uh, we just put on the table. I I hate to lead with just bet the favorites, but you know, we we just have been it's been that kind of year. I I can't come up with a good reason not to bet the favorites. But you can Listen, sometimes the favorites win. You, you just want to be. Uh, what people don't realize is when you get in these crazy odds, even the, for the favorites at ten to one, eleven to one, they just have to be in the running the last day, and then you can hedge out of it. You know, we never do that. We're not we're not smart enough. But I've heard that that's the way to go. So. Yeah, pick who you think is going to win is the way to do this, right? That's 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 what we're trying to do here. We're trying to give out winners, cuz. Exactly. House, thanks so much. You've said it all. Uh, we're going to Callaway. If uh, I'll tell you what, we're driving in there with uh, my, my wife's SUV, and if we pull up to the facility and there's not a, a statue of you erected, we're, we're turning right around. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> well, just keep track of Harry's farts. That's all I ask. <laughs> I always do. You don't have to say that. Uh, House of Carbs, Fairway Rolling, our boy Joe House. Thanks for coming on. Uh, hey, stick around. Pete Rose is next. I hope I hope he doesn't badmouth it too much. <laughs> I'm betting under 12 and a half minute interview. We'll see what happens. Thanks, cuz. <laughs> Alright, I'm at the first annual sports con in Dallas with a collection of all the great athletes, past and present. I'm here with perhaps the greatest of all time. I'm going to read you some numbers. 4,256 hits, 3,562 games played, uh, 17 All-Stars. I can go on and on. His book, Play Hungry, The Making of a Baseball Player, is out now, and it's fantastic. Pete Rose, thanks for coming on Against the Odds. Well, thank you for having me. And by the way, we... Uh Made the New York Times bestseller list. You did it. Yeah. Nice. How can hard, we expect man. anything? Hard to get that. Well, that's it, and it's all about hard work. And by the way, I feel like I've done a lot of hard work because I have tried to interview you for years, and I had to fly to Dallas to do it. And I, I read in your book <laughs> you had to go to Vietnam to meet one of your heroes, Joe DiMaggio. And it's a similar thing. I, no landmines here for me. Just just a lot of brisket. But what was that like? That was that must have been a tremendous experience. Well, first of all, uh, it was 67 when yeah. Vietnam was really uh, dangerous. Right. And uh, I got a call and got an opportunity to go. I had never met Joe. And I even asked the guy, do I get to meet Joe? He said, you get to live with him for 23 days. <laughs> I said, well, sign me up. And uh, he was delightful. I mean, he was so cordial and so humble and so nice to all the soldiers over there. Right. And he made them really feel good. And I was just a tag along. Yeah. Uh, we end up uh, landing on the Intrepid, which is an aircraft carrier that's docked in New York at the present time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the whole 23 days was just unbelievable. You learned a lot from him. You talked about hitting. I know you. you well, yeah, we talked about hitting and and, yeah. and uh, just everyday life. Uh, one question was out of out of bounds was Maryland. You couldn't ask him any questions. Ask about uh, that was a no-no right don't even mention Marilyn Monroe when you're around Joe DiMaggio back in the late 60s interesting interesting but you got some answers maybe some that you aren't looking for one day I love the shower story can you tell our our, our listeners well, I don't know what kind of uh, you know this has to be x-rated to tell that's that. all right whatever you want to tell do. that story I remember 
you know, we're, we're down in South Vietnam. It's a jungle. Yeah. So hot you can't sleep. All you can hear is mortars going off. And every fourth point out of the helicopter was a tracer. And Joe says, I got to take a shower. I said, Joe, we're in a damn a camp in South Vietnam, which is the jungle. There ain't no place to take a shower. Right. He said, well, I got to take a shower. And I'm Joe DiMaggio. So the only way you can take a shower is a guy who had to give up on a chair, me, pour water into this canvas thing, me, pull the chain, the guy underneath took a shower. So, in essence, I gave Joe DiMaggio a shower. Now, the best way to describe Joe DiMaggio is he was a penis with a man hanging from it. Other than that, I don't know how in the hell he carried that thing around and hitting 56 games in a row. No I kidding. have no idea. Now but you, he was the best, that's man. That's great. And I, I don't know how many showers he took in 23 days, but you were probably happy it wasn't too many, right? Well, you know, we... We did whatever we had to do over there. It was all about the soldiers. Right. It wasn't about us. It wasn't about us being in secure areas. Yeah. It wasn't about us worrying about sweating or anything like that. We were right there amongst the soldiers. Of course. Who were putting their life on the line. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the scariest situations, even though the bombs are going off and everything, was landing on the aircraft carrier. Yeah, right. Not too many people have the honor or the privilege of landing on an aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. We happened to do that. And, of course, uh, Tony Caniglero was with us, and Jerry Coleman of the San Diego Padres was with us. Mm-hmm. So, And Bob Fischel, who worked for the Yankees at the time, that's the five of us that went to Vietnam. But when we got there, they broke us up into two groups. Joe and I went south. They went north. We ended up meeting them on the Intrepid. Right. You and Joe separated from them. Yeah. That was a yeah. happy coincidence there. Now, this book... This is basically a tribute. It's not basically. It's a tribute to your dad. Absolutely. Who really instilled all the great work ethic you carried out for so many years on the diamond. And Well, see, I was lucky. Let me tell you why I was lucky. I was lucky because when I was growing up, I had a father who was an athlete. Right. And don't forget, I I grew up in the 40s and 50s. I was a water boy on the football team, mm-hmm. the ball boy on the basketball team, and the bat boy on the baseball team. Yeah. And I was always going to a sporting event. And my dad was really a great athlete, probably the best football player ever to come out of Cincinnati. And he was uh, fundamentally sound. So he taught me the proper way to play the game, whatever game I was playing. Right. And that's why when I made the big leagues, uh, I was such a successful player because I knew how to play. Right. I knew how to practice. Uh, the whole thing was win, 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 win. I never got tired of hearing win. And I, I tell that to every kid I talk to today. You only play sports for one reason, one reason only, to win. You don't play for exercise. Yeah. You only take a test to get an A, not a D, not a C. Yep. You want an A. It's the same thing playing sports. You talk about the uh, all the records you set. The one you're most proud of is the games you won, right? 1972. Nine, and that don't include World Series playoffs or All Star games. games, right? Because I always associated my with my, myself with positive winning people. Yeah. Whether it was Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, Tony Perez, Mike Schmidt, Steve Carlton, Tom Seaver, you love Frank Gary Robinson, Carter, you Frank about? Robinson. Yeah. You know. Andre Dawson, Tim Raines, those were all my teammates. Yeah. It's amazing. They all had the same trait. Let's win the game. They wanted to win. 
Your dad, unfortunately, passed. I think it seemed like, I was trying to follow the chronology, only a few months or a year before you won your first MVP award. What, what do you think he would have been most proud of that he didn't see? The MVP, the hitting streak, uh, or uh, what am I thinking, the World Series? Victory. Well, he'd have been disappointed because we lost the 72 series. Yeah. He would have been disappointed because we lost the playoffs in 73 to Mets. Right. And he would have been disappointed uh, 72 losing the World Series to Oakland. But he'd been happy about winning the World Series for the first time against Boston, Boston. in 1975. Right. And then the Yankees after that. Uh, I was thinking about it. And then to Kansas City after that. Right. And as a Philly, yes. Uh, I was thinking about this on the way over. I think you've signed more autographs than anyone in U.S. history. And I'm counting, I'm counting doctors signing prescriptions and everything. Like honestly, how many? Well, that's a good thing because of uh, course. Because um, if they're still asking, and they're still paying to see me in, in Las Vegas, absolutely, I'll keep signing them because, you know, I get to sign autographs four and a half hours a day, 20 days a month in Las Vegas at the malls, and to me, it's like playing a doubleheader. Right. I get to talk baseball for four and a half that's hours awesome. a day. And to my knowledge, I'm the only former baseball player or modern-day baseball player that does that. Oh, for sure. I'm going to throw a number at you. You tell me over or under. 73,200 autographs, over or under. In your oh, lifetime. over. Really? Oh, yeah. So I base that on five autographs a day for 40 years, 365 days. But you, you say over. Well, I mean, that's still well, I, did, I didn't say that wouldn't go over for... 24 years when you true. played. That's true, right. But right. I, I signed, uh, the guy that probably was second was Bob Feller. He signed a lot. Yeah, he signed a lot. Yeah. But that means people asked. Mm-hmm. Right, you exactly. Know, I'm not going around asking people, uh, can I sign an autograph for him? Right, no, that would be a different story. Your dad, uh, play hard, ran the first on walks. One thing you didn't mention in the book that I love, and it especially happened in Philly, you would bounce the ball on the third out as a first baseman, bounce it as you left the field. I love that about you. Do you think that would have been accepted today? So many pitchers are Who cares? upset about it. I wouldn't, know, it I wouldn't, wouldn't accept it then. Right, it's true. Listen, let but me tell you something. These, these days when you, I played the game of baseball, I could care less what people thought. Right. Okay? I'm going to play the game the way I think it's supposed to be played, and I'm going to play the game the right way. If people it. don't like it, they're losers. Right. That never offended me. If I was playing today for the Reds and I caught a ball to end the game, Unless they changed the rules, I'd spike Bounce. it right into the right. turf. Okay, I did that because you remember when football players started spiking in the end zone? Mm-hmm. You know, I see, I liked it, so yeah. I, I said I'll spike the baseball. I couldn't do it at third. I couldn't do it in left. I couldn't do it right. I couldn't do it at second. Right. But you end the inning a lot at first base. Right. I love it. I just see these pitchers today, and if you look at a home run a millisecond longer than you, you need to, they freak out if you if you try you know and I, I i think about you sliding hard in a second speaking of autographs i have the you and buddy harrelson you both signed uh the brawl picture what was that like i have a friend of mine who drove by the friend's father he drove by shay he said it was shaking it was literally shaking when uh, that brawl erupted well i remember everything about that brawl but what i remember mostly is we lost and they won. Yeah. So anybody that's a New York fan, New York Met fan, 
Don't get mad at me because I had a tussle <laughs> with Bud Harrelson. Right. You went to the World Series. We went home. That's true. That's and true. And that's what it's all about. And you had the A's. And, and Bud and I would become teammates after that in Philadelphia. Oh, that's right. That's and my right. son later on played for Bud as he owned the Long Island Ducks. That's right. Of the Independent well, League. he had a batting cage right around the corner yeah. from where I lived. And, uh, but he was a good guy. Long Island. He just got in my way and uh, I broke up a double play. That's and it. He got mad. Right. <laughs> uh, Whitey Ford gave you the nickname Charlie Whitey Hustle. and Mickey. Whitey and Spring Mickey. Spring training. Fort Lauderdale, 1963. Way, Whitey, great nickname himself, uh, giving you Charlie Hustle, but what else could he call you? I know they put Charlie in front of everything, but that was how you played, right? You were, you well, were it had to be the way I played, because yeah. uh, when I played against Mickey and, and Whitey for the first time, I was a non-roster player right. in spring training in 1963, and I just happened to make the team. Yeah. And I did a couple Charlie Hustle deals uh, the day of the game, and we won the game two to one. I scored on a head first slide, and after the game, Mickey and, Ch and Whitey were talking, and Whitey said, "You see that Charlie Hustle beat us today." And the next day in the New York paper, Charlie Hustle beat Yanks. Wow, that's amazing. That's great. And you get. Let me ask you. There's so many records out there. I know you had your hitting streak at 44. That must have seemed impossible to beat. 56. Can we get Pete Rose a drink for, for, for crying out loud? <laughs> See this? We got water. I don't need the energy. <laughs> you don't have a Diet Coke? You had a 44 game hit streak. What's the hardest record to break? There are so many out there. I have, I have a, an opinion, but what do you think would be the most difficult to break at this point? Well, first of all, um, I don't believe a hitting streak. Uh, would ever be that difficult. Is that right? Especially the way relief pitching is today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a lot of guys who can hit like me and run faster than me, and I hit in 44 in a row. Yeah. Um, I think a record that will never be broken, mm -hmm. and that was my first full year. He was my manager, was Johnny Vandermeer. I was going to say the same you gotta, thing. You got to pitch three no hitters in a row. There you go. Ah, I That's thought I was going to catch it. I thought I was going to catch it. It's hard enough to pitch three complete games in a row. Yeah. Right. So, uh, Barry Bonds' home run record would be hard. Yeah, for sure. Although there will be a lot more guys probably in baseball in the next 10, 15 years hit 600 home runs. 600, you think? Yeah. yeah. I'll 700 is uh, 700 puts longevity onto your record. Sure. You have to play a long time. Don't sell yourself short. You're... 4256 is oh, 200 hits for 22 years. That's nobody not happening. Break that. No, no, no one to break that. There are because, a lot. Cy Young's isn't being. Yeah, record. because baseball isn't played that way today to get 200 hits. Right, right. People don't concentrate on that. Exactly. Even the guys that are good hitters, they get away from being a good hitter to swing for the fences. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but that's okay. Um, you know, everybody in New York said Jeter's going to break my record. Well, he came up 790 short. It's four years. 790. Yeah, he would have to put more. Yeah. Four good years. And he was a really good player. Of course, yeah. You got a guy like Altuve. Well, Altuve missed last year. He only got 150. Yeah. And he missed a lot of games this year. You're not going to beat my record by missing games. You can't. No. No, you're You know, I adorable. played 3,500 games. Yep. That's a lot. Did you. Um, and I knew Jeter wasn't going to break my record because I remember watching TV. And they put up that this, today was Jeter's 10,000th at bat. And I'm saying to myself, he's 38, 
and he's got to get 4,000 more at-bats yeah, yeah, to break my record. More, right. It's not going to happen. Right. How, mu how many points did being a switch hitter add to your average, you think? And again, your dad taught you to be a switch yeah, hitter. But, yeah, uh, but there again, uh, there's too many switch hitters today. Is that okay? There's no. There's too many switch hitters today that can only hit one way. Gotcha. I hit 307 left-handed and 292 right-handed. You were a true switch hitter. Yeah. Yeah. So what if a guy hits 315 left-handed and is 204 right-handed? Right. Why is he switch bat? Right, right. So some are just raising their average or not even. Not many not switch even. hitters are equal from both sides That's of right. the plate. And I must and I must tell you, if you're a switch batter today and you bat 600 times, 400 times is going to be left-handed. Gotcha. Yeah, because they're two-thirds right of the pitchers today are right-handed. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, you would get 100 from each side, right? I mean, that was the only guy to ever get 100 hits from each side was Gary Templeton. Templeton. Right. Okay. So you didn't even do that, huh? That's crazy. No, I, I never batted. You, I never batted uh, right-handed off of a right-hand pitcher I in my 14,053 at bats. I see. So there's a lot to factor into that. And I batted left-handed off a left-hand pitcher twice. Right. Once off a Jim Brewer screwball pitcher, and once off a Randy Jones. Yeah. That's something. Ray Fossey, I read about that. Obviously, they show it. And around All-Star Week, they show it a lot. You barreling him over at home plate. Two things I didn't know. I didn't know you had him to your house. You had, you had dinner with him the night before. The other thing I didn't know was you missed three games. He missed none. How did that happen? I hurt my knee. I feel like, no, but him not missing, I feel like you get a... Well, he played nine more years. Right, exactly. So I didn't ruin his career. The story, you, you would if think we were, is If that we were playing today, okay? Yeah. If we were playing today, I'd automatically been safe because he was blocking the plate without the ball. Right, exactly. And you're not allowed to block the plate without the ball. Yeah. The advantage I had that day was the ball was about two feet from him when I hit him. Mm -hmm. If he's got the ball waiting for me, he knocks me in the middle of next week. Right. It's all about timing. Yeah. You can't concentrate on two different things. His Diet Coke has arrived. Beautiful. Let me ask you this. Um, what was I just going to say? Give me a good March shot story. Do you not like talking about March? I love March. Oh, okay. Um, she never, t I managed for her. 85, 6, 7, 8, 9. Mm -hmm. She came into my office one time to wish me a happy birthday. She never ever told me who to play, who not to play. Um, when I needed a player, I needed Buddy Bell, she gave me a million dollars to go get him. I needed Dave Parker, she gave me a million dollars to go get him. I needed Bill Collison, she gave me a million dollars to go get him. Right. And she won the World Series in 1990. She didn't interfere, really, as much no, as they read all. about it. Really. All she wanted to do was go to the ballpark, sit at the ballpark, sign autographs to the fans. Bring the and dog. every autograph, she wrote a dog poem after the autograph. That's fun. Yeah. She was a harmless lady. Went nice. to church every morning. Is that okay? right? And by the way, she put up the money to buy the team. Her husband died many years before she bought the team. Right. So she's the one that kept the team in Cincinnati. She took a risk, yeah. Well, it wasn't no risk. I mean, baseball in Cincinnati, it's God-given. We talk it's the about- the place of baseball. I'll tell you what, you're right. The Red Legs, yeah, they were first team. You talk about how your book, I learned, it's a combination, your career, of incredible determination and, and luck. 
And when I say luck is you played at the practice, was it a practice facility outside of where your grandmother lived? Like just the fact that it was so right there in your backyard, all of it. <laughs> well, I used, to, I used to stay with my grandma in the summertime. Right. So I could play in that district. Yeah, yeah. Because down where I lived, they didn't have a district. Right. So, uh, yeah, but you got to remember there again, I grew up in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. All we had was sports. We yeah. had nothing else. Right. If you didn't play sports, you you got in trouble. Yeah, exactly. But I played sports. No, the fact that, just the fact that you, it could have been the Royals or whatever, you ended up on the Reds. Yeah. Your team. That's great. That was my team when you I was a kid. Dave Parker. The best. Of, should have been a should be all Absolutely. Uh, Golden Glover, MVP, yeah. batting champion, world champion, 2,800 hits. Golden Glove, where, where's he lacking? I feel like if you're the best at your position for seven years, it's a crime that you're not. Uh, Dave Parker before. was a great player, and he helped me a lot with all the young players I had back in the in the uh, in the uh, 80s. Right. With age. Barry Larkin and Eric Davis and Chris Sabo, and, yep. you know, guys like that. that is, right. A um, couple other names. Well, uh, aside from you, obviously, and Parker, Tommy John, should he be in the Hall of Fame? Most wins at anyone who's not in. I figured the first to have that surgery. Well, I don't, like I don't know. I haven't, I haven't analyzed his uh, record, but anyone I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you one pitcher should be in Go there, on. and it's a joke that he's not. Yeah. It's Jim Cott. Yeah, I was. I looked up his name. He's right well, there. Well, he's got 272 wins. I think and, he's second most. Uh, and 15 to, straight Golden Gloves. Yeah, right. That's right. Okay. You feel that? There's been other wrong. guys that make the Hall of Fame because of Golden Gloves. Right. Ozzie Smith made the uh, mm -hmm. Hall of Fame because of Golden Gloves. Yep. Okay, so sure. I don't understand why Jim uh, Cott's not in the Hall of Fame. All right. A uh, couple more things here. I know you're a numbers junkie. Now, I know you could have a researcher go back and say we were seven games out of first place when I went 0 for 4. That's fine. I understand that, how it goes for research for both. But there's no way anyone other than you knows the score in the minor leagues when you played for G Geneva or Geneva or whatever, upstate New York. That, you're a numbers junkie. And I know that goes so far with baseball. And I, I want to I float a theory by you. I know you only talk about gambling for three pages in the book. I think you got into gambling because you were like, here's a game I know so much about. I'm making a nice salary on it. But I know so much about it. I know the ins and outs. I know the pitchers. I know the math behind it. Why not harmlessly make a few dollars betting on it, right? Is that what went through I quit playing as a player, and I needed something else to do. Right. I was bored. You were bored. I was wrong, but I was bored. And you talk about you sat next to Sparky Anderson. Like, yeah, you, you wanted to know more and more about I the I managed game. when I was a player. Right. But I wasn't a player manager. Exactly. Sparky was a manager. Right, right. I still got all my knowledge from Sparky. Yes. So do you think the, the Giamatti's and all these guys, like, you think, what were they waiting for? What, for I mean, you, in a game that gives second chances to everyone, why not? What was their problem with you? You think they just needed yeah, to know? Let me, let me tell you something. All right, let me tell you something. Yeah. This, this makes any sense to you. What's the date today? July what? 12th? 13th. 13th. Yeah. Okay, and it's, it's 2019. Right. Why are we wasting any time talking about something that happened in 1989? That's I yesterday's agree. newspaper, and your, li your listeners don't want to hear all that bullshit about gambling. Well, okay, that's why I didn't elaborate about it I in know. my book. I hear it's you. old news. Don't worry about it. I'm not. I'm not here to rehatch it. 
I don't Giamatti, want God rest his soul, he passed away. Yeah. I broke the rules. I got penalized for it. I'm paying the price. Go on to the next question. I'll and go on to the next your, question. And your next question would be your last question. That's the last one? Yeah. All right. One more question. Can you see us hanging out in the future? Yeah. Is you. that a bad question to end on? Oh, all right. Pete Rose, everyone. All right, that'll do it for another episode of Against All Odds. Special thanks to Pete Rose for coming on the number one sports gambling podcast in America. You did it, Pete. Also, thanks to Joe House of Fairway Rolling Fame and House of Carbs and producer Master Tate Frazier. Listen to him and Mark Titus on One Shining Podcast. That's that. I'm Sal saying so long and happy handicapping. Na, na, na.